Welcome to Myanmar in a Potshell, the podcast that puts current developments in Myanmar into context. My name is Rodion Abekhausen, and the title of this episode today is Myanmar's History and its Significance for Myanmar's Present. I would like to discuss the topic with Mo Thuza, and she coordinates the Myanmar Studies Program at the Isias Yusuf Ishak Institute in Singapore. She joined ISEAS as a lead researcher in the Institute's uh, ASEAN cent uh, Studies Centers after serving close to a decade at the ASEAN Secretariat. A former diplomat, Mo is researching Burma's foreign policy implementation over 1948 to 1988 for her PhD dissertation with the Department of History at the National University of Singapore. As an ISEAS fellow, she has written and commented on ASEAN integration matters as well as on issues and developments in Myanmar, including ASEAN-Myanmar relations. And our second guest is Jacques Leider. He is a French and Luxembourgian historian, teacher, and former diplomat. He is known for his historical research on Burma-Myanmar, particularly uh, pre-colonial Buddhism, the history of Arakan, today called Rakhine, in the Bay of Bengal and the ethno-historical background of the Burma-Myanmar-Bangladesh borderlands. He is doing research at the French Institute of Asian Studies. So thank you very much for joining us today and let's start with the discussions. So this is the 12th episode of Myanmar in a Potshell and we have been talking to many stakeholders um, in the current crisis and situation of Myanmar and if you talk to members uh, of the current revolutionary mo movement in Myanmar, they are all talking about uh, that the country needs a new political system, a new judicial system, a new educational system. So everything would have to be completely different in the new Myanmar. And it sounds a little bit like starting from scratch, but is it possible to escape history like this? Uh, what do you think, Mo? Thank you, Rodian. Thank you for having me on this podcast. Your question is really interesting because I would look at it uh, from, from this point of view. Yes, what we are seeing uh, today in Myanmar unfolding is, of course, this um, looking toward the future, trying to, um, trying to build uh, a new nation, as it were, and uh, trying to throw off decades and decades of um, what uh, the people now view as uh, having, you know, suffered or being less than equal under military rule. So, so the, the calls that you have just uh, quickly summarized about, you know, building a new political system, um, ensuring that the judiciary is also um, free from fear and corruption as well as uh, really overhauling the education system as we know it. I think uh, I would look at it from this perspective that it's, it's learning from history rather than, you know, history doesn't have a role. Because I think if, if anything, there are so many historical parallels um, in, in Myanmar and people do have, I think, um, that kind of sense of, of uh, what history has has taught or you know has has brought as lessons so i i think it's really for me i would look at it as as learning from history and seeking not to repeat uh, the mistakes that have been made time and over again or perhaps if i'm sounding too harsh what i mean by mistakes of course is that um what never was uh you know able to be achieved in that sense so what we see, of course, you know, um, in terms of historical parallels, um, the students uh, being at the forefront of all the protests of voice and accountability issues, that has its historical parallels since the times of um, colonial rule. And even the overall protests by different communities across the country, this is also what we saw in the kind of uh, you know, the moment of disruption that happened in Burma uh, back in the day uh, when the British annexed it. And, and of course, the resistance to the, the you know, the so-called pacification campaigns uh, 
that the colonizers um, carried out after annexing Burma. And even if we look at uh, the way the military has really um, put itself into a very privileged position and entrenched the military tradition and, and uh, you know, uh, always uh, highlighted or emphasized its role as a guardian of the state, uh, that also has its historical parallels. And, you know, I could go on and on. I mean, even the, 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 the whole situation of uh, parallel governments uh, today, we have the NUG, the National Unity Government. In the 1990s, there was the National, um, uh, uh, forgive me, the NCGUB as we know it. So, um, so there are these historical parallels. And I think uh, we, we learn from these. We, we look back at those and then we look at what um, what were the the mistakes that were repeated what should not be repeated and of course I think one of um, one of the lessons from history that a lot of people today are recognizing and calling for is uh, the the marginalization of the various ethnic nationalities and even that can go way back to the historical parallel of um the 1947 Bin Loan Agreement, and the way that the successive um, administrations, whether they are authoritarian or democratically elected, uh, the successive administrations that have um, governed Burma or Myanmar since um, since independence in 1948, uh, we can also see the way that they have been trying to reach out uh, in the form of uh, peace talks or peace agreements or peace negotiations and and even that i think um now i we we have seen um where the weaknesses were where the shortcomings were and so um for me it's really learning from history looking to these parallels and wanting to um to to create a, a new system that tries to correct past mistakes uh sorry allow me to play like a kind of devil's advocate because you said like all oh, there are these parallels and things are coming up and again and again so i would say like maybe there have not been lessons learned because we see like a similar circle of violence we see a similar establishment of uh, a shadow government or underground government going to the thai myanmar borderland which has been there in 1988 and in the end they failed so couldn't this be the same argument, like saying, okay, there is no development and obviously people did not learn from history. I would like to give this to Mo first because she said that they learned from history, but then of course I would like to uh, know what Jack thinks about it. Right, Rodion. Um, thank you for giving me the floor first to maybe correct or, or, or really clarify what I meant. And when I said learning from history, I didn't say, I didn't mean we have learned from history. But we are seeing what are the mistakes that have been, you know, made in the past and we want to learn from them. So I think this is the moment where it's a learning moment. And and it's very true what you said about all these historical parallels uh, being kept throwing up. People, I think, um, and it's not just in Myanmar, the world over, we always look back to precedent. We always look back to what was done in the past and, and see whether that worked or not. But in Myanmar's case, I think it's mostly what worked for one certain group rather than what worked for the whole nation, so to speak. And of course, um, uh, those who had the most say, those who had, uh, I guess, um, the, the, the weapon power probably uh, calls the shots, uh, forgive the pun. But uh, that is why it's so important, I think, um, to get things uh right this time around and it is a huge challenge because what is happening as uh, as we all observe going on in Myanmar is really people trying to uh, build a nation and also build peace at the same time so what's um what's uh, i think uh, what's different from the past of course i think slightly different i could say is um this this form of the national unity consultative council i know there was a historical parallel in the 1990s but uh the discussions have moved further i think this time around and um the the consultation from what we can argue as a, a bama dominant group such as the nld you know in the form of the uh the 
the committee representing the the CRPH and so on, uh, they reached out and, and consulted all these different groups to start putting together um, a, a new federal democracy charter. I mean, constitution itself is not new, but all I'm saying is that I think there is this realization uh, today that um, what what was not able to have been accomplished in the past, there is a sense of urgency now that they need to get it right. Okay. Um, thank you very much. Like, But before you can like learn from history, I would say you, a precondition is that you know history. And I would like to ask uh, um, Jacques, what is like your estimation about how well do um, is the knowledge about the history, and um, how good do do people in Myanmar understand what has been there in 1988 and even before? Uh, uh, and and what what is your experience in this regard? Uh, well, thank you very much, Rodion, for having me on board, and I'm very pleased also to be with uh, Mo. And uh, yeah, thanks for the question uh, that I think is very uh, relevant. Um, there's kind of a paradox um, in, in the case of Myanmar uh, of the, during the last decade that on the one hand, you have uh, an always open declared interest in history, uh, but then the general focus is not on, on studying history, but on the present issues that are economic, social, political, and, and so on. Um, and... Uh, there's a point to be made here, indeed, that knowledge of history uh, is not the same thing as having a sense of history. You know, you asked me about my experience, and I was always immensely pleased to do research, uh, historical research in Myanmar, because people in general, uh, from any kind of background, they declare that they like history, that they consider that its history is important, they are fully supported. And that's definitely not the case in every country in Southeast Asia or even broadly speaking uh, uh, in, in, in the world. And indeed, um, there's uh, definitely a lack of knowledge in history. History as an academic discipline has not necessarily been very attractive. It does not lead to a real career. Uh, people in Myanmar over the last uh, decades had to try to survive, so they didn't really opt for uh, academic discipline like uh, history. And I myself, again, getting to my own experience over the last uh, 10 years, uh, there's been students approaching me and, uh, as I in particular, been doing research on Rakhine, uh, asking me, yeah, can you tell us, uh, because you, you, you know more, because you've been spending a lot of time on on uh, doing research on our uh, history, and obviously I'm 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 also a teacher, so I'm I'm really uh, very happy uh, to do that. Uh, but then, having said that, um, uh, one needs to reach out. Why is this situation like that? Uh, definitely, the isolation of the country for an extremely long period has had cut off the uh, change in methodologies, the perspectives, and uh, what Western academics are calling post-colonial is something that didn't really reach Myanmar. So even like thinking about 20, 25 years ago, uh, when you had like emerging efforts to organize conferences, uh, there wasn't really a dialogue in the sense that uh, people were speaking the same uh, language. The history sometimes was like a catch-all term for, for other disciplines as well, thinking about sociolo sociology, anthropology, uh, ethnography, and, and, and so on. And uh, I mean, we as coming from the outside, we could do with this kind of things, but it was still, uh, uh, it didn't kick off like a revolution in, in the structure. So, but today we are talking to masses of, uh, of, uh, of more recent generations of those who went abroad and who've been learning and studying and so on. And so obviously embedding uh, uh, more, uh, like more modern perspectives, uh, contemporary ways of looking at it and all the topics and changes that have been, that we have, uh, uh, that we have been seeing. Nonetheless, this again, you know, so that is the quali qualitative aspect and there's the quantitative aspect. And here definitely uh, we have a, a huge lack of historical research, simply of knowledge, you know, of, of the co-production of knowledge as we see it in other places where there are fully functioning universities, where you have think tanks, where you have cooperation, when you have uh, networking and so on. There's definitely still a lack of a critical mass of uh, 
of researchers and, and I think both researchers also coming from outside the country and definitely inside the country. But all these things got like uh, uh, started moving over the last decades and that's been very inspiring and uh, there's been a, a feedback and a, re and, and a return. So that, that's in a way you see you, you could, uh, I could try to give an answer to your question, you know, in, on, in, on, in the field, in the practice, and we've always been challenging to contribute when we were in the country and, and so on. So to a certain extent, that's hopeful. But obviously, there's a, a huge mass of work uh, in terms of research that still needs to be, uh, to be done you now without even getting into any kind of particular that we might discuss later. Thank you. Yeah. Um, maybe I would like to add, like, as you said, you have like 25 years or more of experience in working with historians from Myanmar. And to, um, I would like to know, like, of course, I, I think or I assume that um, like in, in the university in France or Europe, you have a specific idea about what academic history should look like and what it is. And if you if you come to Myanmar and to talk to historians, so what are what are the differences, if there are any? And um, would you say that there is a kind of limit of understanding each other or there are parts where you say there is a misunderstanding or it's very difficult to overcome these kind of misunderstandings? From, from your experience, maybe Jacques, you can answer first and then Mo, because as you have been in touch with Western or European historians or American, would you say there is something like this going on? Maybe Jacques first. Well, Well, there's obviously there's there's an immediate problem in the way that people understand history. Uh, if you consider, like often in, in in Myanmar, that history doing history is like kind of finding some kind of truth, and now we have it, we possess it in a way. You know, we can fix it in a written text, and there's kind of a sanctity of the written text in in Myanmar that's sometimes difficult to destabilize and move into some kind of uh, wider discussion on it. Now, for us. Uh, in, in the West, I think history is a discipline uh, that opens up to, uh, yeah, knowledge, uh, studying sources, but then uh, we, we're serving society with having conversations on ourselves, on our societies, on our past, and, and even trying to learn lessons from it. Uh, but it's still, you know, like a laboratory, you know, where people get back to their past, each generation gets back to the past. And that's an understanding that you would not find easily in Myanmar because they would rather than let things stand on their own as such as such a historian would say this another historian says that but we would like to get this into conversation into dialogue or into like setting the record clear or things like that so so that there's the issue about uh, having a historical truth on the one hand that's often defined as a kind of a national truth Uh, and having certain patterns, like when we look at the way that Rakhine, Mon, or other groups have been writing history, it's often patterned on the way that Burmese chronicles were set up, you see. So there's, there's also this uh, hierarchy of models of how to do history. You know? um, so that, that I think uh, would be uh, the, the, the important comment that I would immediately make on this. Uh, but that, again, it does not make it impossible to discuss about facts, to discuss about, uh, uh, about, about particular issues, you know, about clarifying. Because as I said previously, it's an issue of quantity. It's simply like knowing things that we had not known before, discovering new things. And when you're doing history in Myanmar, you're constantly discovering new things. That... Yeah. Mo, what is your take on this? Yeah. It's very true because as, as, as Jacques was speaking, I was just thinking back to, you know, the different terms that the Burmese language uh, uses for history. Um, the, the older term is Yazowin, as, as Jacques knows well. And Yazowin basically just means the, 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 the tales of kings. Of, of royalty. So in the past, it was all about, uh, you know, the, the, the king's exploits, his achievements, his accomplishments, and those were recorded. And, and those are the kind of chronicles that that we all have when we refer back to um, the, the early um, early history of, uh, of Burma, of Myanmar. Uh, nowadays, of course, we call it the Mai, which is, uh, I, I suppose, a more uh, neutral term. Um, but uh, therein, I think, also uh, I, lies that, that important uh, lesson, if you will, that, um, you know, who writes history? 
and how it's presented. Because, um, you know, I, I was saying earlier, right, history gives us the, the opportunity to, to learn from past mistakes, right? And, and maybe understand uh, the, the, the reasons of why things uh, evolved in a certain way, why people or communities uh, behaved in a certain way in crisis situations. Um, but, um, you know, does the way that um, these accounts, these historical accounts have been um, documented and presented, um, have, you know, does, does the way in, in, in these uh, historical accounts being presented uh, make us more impartial? So I think that's that's quite an important thing because uh, it could well become a litany of grievances as well. And I guess uh, it's um, it's easy to be uh, objective and factual when one documents uh, uh, the conquests of uh, one country or one nation against another nation. But um, what other aspects of uh, of that uh, have we been able to to ascertain or not? And if we go then into the the kind of the social cultural um, uh, influences uh, that have come from interactions in the past, uh, to what extent then do we acknowledge that a large part of our cultural inheritance is, uh, you know, is uh, how how unique is that and all that? So it I I think for me when I look at history, it's really about connecting the dots, finding uh, finding those connections and patterns, and really seeing ourselves um, as part of this whole you know the connected larger part of where we are um, in in this region in 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 the world. Um, so so I think that was at uh, that was at the back of my mind also when when I was uh, talking earlier about you know having a sense of history of course having a sense of history mostly most of the time it is in the context of of uh, the leaders of the nation isn't it um uh, leaders who have a sense of history uh, or acting with a strong sense of history is really to um uh, leave something uh, or give something to the future generations to you know really to really bring forward and uh, make something good out of it. Um, so I don't think um, Burma or Myanmar in the past has been blessed with many such leaders. There were a few, but uh, you you know well um, how the, the country's trajectory has been. And I think that's, uh, that's where um, what Jacques has uh, talked about, um, learning history, and, and discussing history and even, I think, creating that room for debating history is so important, which is, you know, which is what has been lacking in, in my country, uh, if you will. And Jacques knows this very well, I think. Um, up to a certain point, uh, there were certain subjects that you could not just, you know, objectively or factually bring up or discuss. Everything was very much circumscribed. And even, I think, up to the time of the NLD government, um, the, the history commission's uh, efforts to uh, to compile history um, had not reached um, the events of 1988 and and of course you know uh, 1988 is now um, 30 years in the past but um, uh, it is also important to get that part of history right as well yeah um, I would like to pick up uh, two things uh, you both mentioned, but I would like, you said like it, it was and is sometimes still difficult to debate history. And Jacques, you mentioned that there are different histories in the country. There's like the Bama history, the Mon history, the Rakhine. Everybody has its own version of its history. And um, I would like to start uh, with Jacques and asking you like, can you, can you explain a little bit how, how this different histories or how they are different those histories and uh, and where does this huge differences come from um, and maybe then we can continue like why are there so many different histories in Myanmar well it, it should not be surprising that there are different histories because history is some recollection about the past uh, that uh, let's say educated monks or uh, ministers at the court of the king uh, would have written down or poets or other uh, 
people active uh, in, 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 in writing poetry, historical poetry, for example, uh, they would put on the record or there would be inscriptions that would record certain uh, deeds uh, and, and so on. And all this we describe as historiographical uh, literature. And obviously each, each time something is written is written with a certain aim, with a certain, uh, with a certain goal. And uh, as more correctly uh, uh, remembered us uh, talking about Yasenwe, at the origin it was uh, copying a, a, a Buddhist model that derived from Sri Lanka about listing the kings. Uh, and uh, uh, so the succession of kings, a dynasty, uh, but then there's an important aspect that uh, lies with Buddhism, namely the care of the king, uh, the transmission of the Buddhist uh, teaching, the dhadana, uh, is something that is in the hands of kings. So uh, kings need to make sure that the Buddhist dhadana is transmitted from one generation, from one king to another. And during the last uh, Burmese dynasty, the Kumbang dynasty, that was one of the great worries of the king, of the since the beginning, do we really transmit Buddhism as we, we, we should? So there's some aspects that are embedded here in, the, in this way of writing uh, history that are quite typical. And as I mentioned before, this sets a pattern. And uh, one can find that colleagues of mine who have been uh, 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 delving deeply into Mon history or myself doing on, working on Rakhine history, it sets like kind of a model. Like, for example, the uh, Rakhine Yasuente, the new Arakanese chronicle that was compiled by a monk and published in Mandalay in 1931-32, uh, he is basically trying to uh, follow a pattern. He's compiling from sources he has been digging up and putting together. And, and then uh, this compilation he presents it as a chronicle, but it's patterned on the Burmese chronicle in a way because that sets the model. So you have a cultural hierarchy that uh, that is quite evident here in the background. And, and that's still true uh, with regard to those who contest the history. Like, for example, when the Mon would contest, uh, as Mona mentioned, uh, it's often debate about Congress. You know, they were the enemies, traditional enemies, and this kind of uh, ideologies that's also partly derived from national historiography during the colonial period. Now, so you say these people, we've been always fighting with these people, and they say, well, that's in their chronicle, you know, they are they are the winners and we are the losers, and we counter this by saying we were not or something like that. It still stays within this kind of uh, uh, framework. Uh, but having said that, uh, I think we should broaden uh, the discussion uh, uh, and not stick only within the country because we see today a tendency uh, about debating about uh, uh, issues like um, uh, rights violations, uh, the topic of human rights, uh, the, the present task, how we need to change society, uh, introduction of federalism and all these things that are done uh, very much in a strictly contemporary context that denies history as well. When, you, when you're looking at, and, and I mean that's coming from outside the country, when there are investigative mechanisms uh, um, that are uh, initiated and, and created uh, at the UN level, sometimes, you know, they will put a certain date and they will say like, okay, we are starting with 2010 and then talking about the events within that context and it's kind of denial of the of the past because it's quite obvious you know i mean just take the example there's an accident uh, uh, happening on the road uh, and you're not considering that the person who's been driving what he did before he he was taking his car maybe he's been drinking and i don't know what you you are thinking about a certain number of things you know that uh, today in in jurisprudence uh, uh, and and other types of transactions, it's it's quite obvious that you are looking at a wider background. And and now what we see today is there's a general lack of being taking sufficient interest in historical backgrounds. And so I would like to mention that as well because that's part of the entire discussion about history and uh, the role of history. But because all all of us historians, we we have faced this kind of issue that people say, oh, don't start again with history. It happened to me uh, a number of times. So even though I basically agree, I would like to make a, a point against it. But somewhere you have to stop or start the investigation. So my question, how do you decide how far back you go? You go to the British colonial period. You go uh, to the time of the kings or I, I exaggerate or you go back to the Stone Age. Like what? what how can you decide 
for example, if you would be a, a UN uh, from the UN and try to understand where where do you stop? Like where do you say there is a limit? Because of course there are limits. How how would you decide that? No, I I, I don't think there's this. You you see this urgency now. What you mentioned is this kind of urgency of uh, of putting a, a limit somewhere. I mean, there are a, a number of relevant points that need to be made. It doesn't mean that you need to pile up history books, but a certain number of arguments need to be raised. Uh, in the case of Rakhine, uh, but in the case of other groups as well, uh, part of the history is always mytholo political mythology. And uh, uh, what I have seen is that part of the his historic, uh, the political mythology Uh, where people allude to uh, events in the first millennium, for example, that absolutely not assessed, they are picked up by journalists and considered as historical facts. Uh, that's the problem, you see. It's not about the problem. It's not just like uh, what any kind of investigative mechanism is going to do. And we say, oh, that's too complicated. We don't do that. But And on the other hand, by repeating uh, totally uncertified statements, Uh, uh, you end up with creating historical truths. And that's the situation where we are uh, today. Uh, I, I'm thinking about the founder of the um, uh, Kumbang dynasty, King uh, Alangmenteya, or called Alangpeya. Uh, I mean, in a book by a Yale historian, he was uh, described as somebody who committed genocide against the Mon people. And he basically doesn't read the sources. I confronted him uh, during a seminar in Paris, Uh, and, uh, uh, well, he's been basically picking up and over-interpreting what uh, Professor Victor Lieberman from Michigan University had been writing on this. And, I, I mean, I know what, that, what had been written, but it is like kind of over-interpreting this. So you're pleasing a certain audience by kind of what I would see as uh, exaggerating these things. But, the, but that would, you see, something like that needs some kind of critical discussion. Uh, and going back to the sources, uh, particularly on the biography of the foundational king of the Kumbang dynasty, I've been working several years and, and take a great interest in it. And, I, and there are sources, you know, that would absolutely not confirm this. But it's putting it up like this, you know, it's simply because we do not have the quantity and uh, uh, sufficient discussion on uh, early modern uh, Burmese history that things like that can be quoted and requoted, you know, and that those who have find a political interest in interpreting it like that, you know, can can use it. Uh, sorry, but I, I would not put any kind of limit. You need to put it to, to certain things, you know, that are relevant. Uh, and uh, I, I could go on now, uh, but please stop me. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so lovely to just hear Jacques talk about this because, you know, every time I have a conversation with Jacques, I always learn something new and a new dimension. And I think what Jacques is cautioning here is really important. Uh, there's this notion of presentism that people tend to bring whenever, you know, we look at um, past historical parallels. If, if we look at it with a presentist point of view, I mean, you know, there, there can be any amount of, I guess, crimes. On. Now, I'm not saying that kings in the past or whoever governments in the past did not commit crimes. But, but I think uh, history... Uh, you know, when we look at history, we're looking at what happened in the past and, and seeking to learn from that. Uh, so um, and, and also, let's not forget to understand how people behave. So rather than taking a pre presenter's lens, I would add to Jacques' argument by saying that, you know, um, uh, I, I think having his, historical references or Looking up history is important when you're trying to to understand and come to conclusions about what is going on in a country in the present time to 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 know why they are behaving the way they behave it's It's like what Jacques had said about just because um you know there is an accident and you know someone drives into someone else um it's it's not just that moment of that accident happening there are other factors that have led to it, and I think no No other uh, instance would crystallize this uh, best, I think, than, uh, you know, the situation in Rakhine that Jacques was also referring to, uh, because, you know, there's a whole history of subjugation of the Rakhines by the Burmese, as well as uh, 
the own, I think, the own sense of history that the Rakhines have as well. And and uh, add to that now the many layers of, um, I guess, the, the, the expectations and the aspirations that have been built up uh, since the time of British rule and afterwards. I think all of these provide a very important context for for understanding a situation rather than coming in to say this right, this wrong. Of course, there are wrongs that are committed that need to be corrected. And if we go into the whole uh, sad and tragic history of the Rohingya communities, I mean, that is one um, one good example as well, where uh, narrative and history have been used and manipulated to a point where, um, you know, a, 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 a very... Um, I think visceral type of um, hatred have been whipped up against a community that probably doesn't deserve this kind of treatment. Yeah. Um, so thank you very much for this, um, like broadening up and telling like, uh, it's not only about history in the country, but it's also about the awareness of Myanmar history in the West or well, because the West is of course interfering into what's happening in, in Myanmar and that this, um, create something um and for or i would anyway i would like to come back to this well, point of there are interfering different... rodion i think right now the the people in the resistance movement are looking for intervention not to sound um, yeah true um yes so maybe, maybe i i w would like what i want to mention but even though that the west is not doing anything or almost nothing about is in a way interfering or, or not doing anything changes what's happening in Myanmar. So I think like doing nothing is uh, also translating into something. Yeah, it, it, it changes the course what's happening in Myanmar. So the, the, the lack of decisive action uh, from, from almost any country, including the ASEAN, uh, who are still struggling with their five point consensus. Um, But um, I'm sorry, I would like to come back to my, the point, like we have been talking about that there are different histories um, in the country for, from different groups, um, different ethnic groups. Um, and would you say that this uh, different histories contributed to the divisions we have in the country today? And those divisions are still like um, part of the struggle and the conflict which is going on. Uh, so would you say that in a way, like the the history written by the different groups is part of the conflict today? Uh, maybe, Mo, you can say something about this. Um, okay, I'll take a stab at this. And uh, Jacques, please correct me uh, for, for any uh, mistakes I will make. Um, you see, Rodion, uh, when you talk about different histories and you're implying some kind of a clash of different histories, I think uh, the, the main uh, issue... Well, the challenge that Myanmar faces today really is that there has been only one dominant form of history that puts forth a certain narrative that does not necessarily recognize or include the many diverse histories of of a country, you know, and a, and a, of a nation that that has many diverse ethnic nationality groups residing in it. So I think that's the main problem. And, and this is where um, I think now that the clamor for, for recognition, for inclusion, uh, you know, for, for that equality of voice is being, uh, you know, uh, discussed and uh, brought to the fore more than ever. And of course, you know, um, there's been almost more than 70 years of this kind of one main, you know, dominant narrative um, you know, being, being put forth above all else. And, and uh, it, I think it's going to take some time for, for you know, that, that more inclusive um, history or account of what it is uh, to, to be Myanmar is, is uh, going to be written. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so I think it's I think it's an interesting point, like that you say the the major problem is not that we have different histories, but that we have like one dominant narrative. Um, so would you ag agree, Jacques? And and uh, maybe can you also like um, explain what would this dominant narrative be? 
like if it's possible to wrap it up in like two or three or in a short paragraph. So what is this dominant narrative? And, and is that really the problem? Well, the dominant narrative is uh, the one that uh, the Banar population, the majority population, is kind of historically uh, predestined to rule the country, to create it and maintain its, its unity. Uh, it, it's at the heart of a state-centric view uh, that uh, people are situated at the periphery and, and need to be embedded into a bigger uh, state framework. <clears throat> that obviously since 1948 aims at creating a nation state, uh, which it has uh, basically failed to uh, to realize. I mean, the level of kind of integration where people would stand by uh, a similar uh, uh, context of the nation state. But getting back to the diversity of history, I mean, you look at the uh, European countries in the EU, uh, each country has its own history, but it doesn't mean that it's, it's weaponizing its historical record against the other one. I mean, we are kind of beyond that. So uh, I, I don't venture into comparing this with uh, a European context of a variety of history with uh, other areas. But as we are academics speaking here, uh, the one thing that I regret, and I get back, I think, to uh, the earlier part of our conversation today is there's a lack of a platform, you know, where you're debating the diverse histories and, and seeing, you know, where they share, uh, uh, where, where they have something in common. And, and that's not only what I mentioned before about the similarity of a pattern. Uh, but thinking about the fact that what academics are generally doing and bringing things together uh, and giving it back to society in a way, doing publications, doing uh, also popular history and, and pointing out to uh, what, what kind of historical experiences uh, the people uh, uh, share. Uh, think about World War II. Uh, I mean, during World War II, uh, there was a... I mean, the whole colonial structure uh, was like uh, 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 not not completely changed, but in in a way, uh, the whole col colonial framework, I mean, breaks apart. Uh, there's kind of another form of colonialism, the Japanese, that comes in, uh, and then there's the struggle, you know, and and people might be on different on positions that then after the war, you know, conditions change again. Now, in this context is constantly referred to until today <clears throat> to explain why in the end the Kuchin or the Chin or the Rakhine, for example, uh, would have been positioned in certain uh, in, in certain places of this uh, interplay of, uh, of forces and, and, and confrontation. But this is not something, you know, that you need to, and, and I think this is a critical point that uh, you mentioned in your question. You put perpetuating in a way rivalry or certain cliches about the other one, you know, by not debating history, by not thinking about it that today is today, now we are a different context and history is the past and we need to know history to better reflect on the future. That's the way, you know, that, that as an academic historian, you know, I would consider that academics can participate by having these tools of analytical, critical uh, approach towards the facts, towards sources, and so on, and give it back to society. And this is something, you know, that we have been lacking in Myanmar, uh, that we would definitely need uh, uh, from all corners, uh, that, that people get together, you know, and, and share in this. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this, this topic of sharing, discussing is coming up again and again, and I, I think we are coming here to a core point or a very important point. Um, I would like to know, do you think there is a kind of common ground where all ethnic groups could meet in a way on specific like uh, events of Myanmar history? Uh, so is there some common ground? You mentioned like there is a pattern where this like this, this question about how Buddhism uh, continues and that, that is a framework of history which is which you find in most or every uh, history of the country. But is there something content-wise where you say there is something where all parties, where all groups could maybe somehow come together and agree on a, on a small part of history where they can build up this discussion on? Do you see anything? Like maybe Mo, you can start? Uh, okay, Rodion, I'll have to ask you to, uh, you know, drill a bit deeper into that common ground in history. 
Yeah, I mean, for example, um, I don't know, this comes to, like, for example, the Panglong Conference, which is, I would say, a, a major or of major importance, maybe not the event itself, but what happened afterwards. But um, my perception is that the interpretation of what actually happened at Panglong is quite different from the Bama and from the ethnic minorities. But is there any other event where you say that maybe all groups can somehow agree on that this is where they where the histories like converge or come together and if there is something like that is is there a possibility to build up on this common ground what i call common ground or is isn't there anything okay um okay i i think i understand where where you're coming from um if you are looking at the different ethnic nationalities in myanmar having a shared sense of of history then then of course then you know um the the uh the colonial experience i guess would probably be one of those starting points although although and um you know it's it's a caveat here uh the different ethnic nationality groups did have different experiences and uh, the Bamas uh, had a different view and perception and attitude of uh, what colonial administration did or did not do for for the Bamas. And so, um, so if you look at that as uh, maybe I shall put that as a kind of starting point for a collective uh, or a shared experience um, that that can be you know this collective account, then um, the nineteen forty seven loan agreement uh, would be an important moment of shared history and uh, it's also important because you know people refer back to that right people invoke that um, Don San Suji even called her uh, you know her take on the peace uh, process you know her implementation of peace negotiations with the different ethnic armed organizations as the 21st century Panglong invoking what her father had done all those decades ago. So I think um, if you're looking at shared collective moments where um, the different ethnic nationalities agreed to come together for a common objective, then that's one point that I would look at. Of course, that's very much contemporary history. But you have to remember, of course, before before the British drew the map of what is now known as you know Myanmar, Burma back in the day, um, there were nation states. There were different kingdoms, and the Burmese kings, of course, were seeking to bring under their subjugation these different kingdoms or or, or states. Jacques, I hope I've not, uh, you know, committed uh, any grave errors. Yeah, I, I, I think more got a good intuition. I was struggling now uh, with finding something spot on. And I think colonialism is a very good starting point because there's enough overlapping uh, elements here uh, and there's enough there to, to be debated. Who are those who are favored by colonial rule? Who are those who would mainly frame it as uh, in terms of victimhood? Uh, so, But that uh, would be an excellent starting point because it's also a very long period of time. And not every part of the country had uh, had the same experience, geographically speaking, but also regarding, for example, the, the, the time frame. But I would like to go back to uh, Panglong and the spirit of Panglong. And, and I beg to disagree a little bit with more. But it's simply, I, I fully understand uh, what the way that Panglong uh, was used by uh, the, the administration of Dong San Suu Kyi. Uh, uh, to uh, promote its own approach of the peace process. Uh, I understand this, but when you go back historically, uh, you see that there were certain groups that were present there, political situation changing. Uh, Rakhine nationalism wasn't as strong uh, as uh, it was uh, starting uh, to, to become, let's say, at the end of the 50s, 60s, and obviously until uh, uh, today. And the same is true for the Mon uh, as well. Uh, there was um, a, a politician, a pre-World uh, War II politician uh, from uh, Arakan, 
uh, Aung San Wei, who was in Panglong, but he didn't ask for a, a separate arrogant state. But the idea was there uh, in the 1950s and promoted by uh, a bourgeois elite uh, at the time that we want to have also our own state. And uh, and then under General Nguyen, it was granted. It didn't politically mean that much for them, but nonetheless, it was created. The, the arrogant state and the Mon state were created uh, uh, later on. So that's all another story again. But you started to ask us, is would Panglong be an element of on, where you can build on consensus on the notion of federalism and, and such issues? Yeah, it's part of the conversation, uh, definitely. And it will be, and it's also important. But it doesn't mean that it means that much for everyone. Uh, I don't know what the, the reality today is. You can discuss about Panglong, for example, and then you're looking at the map and you see an expanding Wa state taking advantage of current uh, uh, lack of strong uh, state-centric rule uh, in Shan state, for example, and then you you obviously going to to jump into a very different uh, conversation, uh, and and where Panglong is only part of uh, of, of a bigger whole. Um, yeah, the the point is, you know, when you ask me about this, I am more kind of spontaneously uh, getting back to the diversity. Uh, and uh, maybe I, I'd like to highlight here for the audience another example. When, um, as I've been dealing a lot in my in my academic career with the history of Buddhism, uh, in terms of facts of kings and so on, and uh, royal policies, um, you know the chronicles, the, the 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 chronicles that explain the succession of um, or the transmission of Buddhism, rather, uh, that were written by Burma monks. Uh, they were mostly written uh, with a view on the Burmese Sangha, that had um, the, the monkhood uh, uh, that was specifically or say ethnically uh, Burmese. Uh, and does not include, for example, the Rakhine monks or the Mon monks or uh, even Karan monks or Shah monks. So even that, you know, is sometimes ethnically framed and there are different histories. Now, uh, for many people uh, who are going to uh, Buddhist countries today, for them it would be difficult to understand that they would also have different Buddhist histories. But that these are things, you know, that you need to try to explain and to understand why historiography, why historical accounts were written like that. Uh, so that's a totally different issue. Uh, because when we have in conversation like today, we generally start with our own concept of what history is, and then we would like to find it. And we do not find it because people saw it very different, how they would record, uh, record the past. So um, I, I don't think that that can be a goal as such. But the, and the point that I would like uh, to make is that you need to have uh, platforms uh, where all these differences are pointed out so that people can agree on the diversity and say that it does not necessarily help you uh, to uh, promote a new vision and that challenging people uh, to reflect on the world as is uh, today. Yeah, um, thank you, um, Jacques. We are coming to, to the end. I have a final question, but this point of diversity brings me to something I sometimes say, like it's a bit like a joke, but I thought like it would have been much more interesting to have a national diversity government than a national unity government because there has been talking so much about unity all the time. So I would have loved to have like a national diversity government, but unfortunately it's not that. So. My last question, which goes back to the start and a bit more to the contemporary, um, what's contemporarily happening in Myanmar. So what lessons from history um, should the resistance or should, um, uh, sh should the country learn at this moment? What would you say? What would be the lessons to help overcome the current crisis and the civil war? Uh, maybe Mo, you can start. That's a really tall order, Rodion. It's like, you know, you're asking Jacques and uh, me to uh, to give prescriptions on what people should or should not do, uh, you know, for their current efforts to succeed. That's a very heavy responsibility you're placing on our shoulders. Um, but I, I, I see what you mean. And I think, um, you know, also going back to the first point we discussed about historical parallels. 
I think being aware of those historical parallels and also not just those parallels, but the factors, the context, the contingency that all fed into that particular moment in time, I think will help us tremendously because after all, history provides um, an element of evidence, if you will. Take, for example, even the Siasan uprising in the 1930s. Yes, we can look at it from one lens that, you know, this is, this is the people of, of, uh, of Burma at that time and uh, people in the dry zone, right? The peasants, the farmers uh, taking up arms against, um, against uh, unfair uh, administrative practices. But we also have to link it to what was going on globally and it was the Great Depression. So I think being being aware of all of that in history uh, will also help us, I think, um, make a better sense of the kind of um, you know aspirations we have today. Um, as as we hark back to the parallels, we also understand the context within which those parallels happened, and then we also look at you know uh, the the different contexts that we are in today, and then you know try to try to work on that, I think. If anything, um, history helps us to do is to I, actually use that kind of evidence that we find from history books uh, to, 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 uh, to be more objective and to try to be uh, impartial in, in our inquiry into, you know, uh, you know the, 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 the politics, the social and the, the moral issues of the day. And I think that's where, um, that's where we are. This is the moment. It's it's actually a kind of like a history in the making moment. Yeah, I would. Uh, I, I I totally agree with what uh, Moore just said. Um, that the lessons of history is a lesson of modesty, of humility towards oneself and towards the others. And so that's an important thing, and that's something that needs to to be present in the in the minds of the people. Um, I would like to add to this. Um, uh, with making building my comment on 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 the buzzword of today's conversation, which is about federalism, because anyone will agree that the discussion is constantly about how to build uh, and invest into federal models and to reflect on how to build and to structure in a more productive way the relations uh, between the different uh, parts of the population, the, the, between the different populations uh, uh, within uh, the countries, and. Uh, when you look at the way that uh, uh, those who are experts in conflict uh, management uh, and resolution, uh, they would advise generally to try to work together in those fields where you have an overlapping interest. Uh, and I think that's a modest uh, way of proceeding, uh, but it's very reasonable. Uh, when, when every group within the country just decides that they want to do it on their own and they try to find allies beyond uh, uh, to to uh, to to make progress for their own political agendas in a way, uh, you will never find any way of cooperation within the uh, the area that we call uh, Burma or Myanmar. Uh, but when all the groups get together in a way with their in, and I, I like your terminology about national diversity, when they get together and try and and see that they have to work together in areas where they where they have something as they call it now, a win-win situation, uh, uh, that should be done. And that's a way uh, to uh, to proceed, I think. Uh, but having said that, um, I know from students with whom I had conversations over the last uh, couple of years uh, that uh, when, when when they're teaching or they, they learn about federalism, they're also reflecting about concrete uh, examples, you know, thinking about what happened to Yugoslavia, the uh, the federation. What happened recently in uh, uh, with the the, the, the dire uh, uh, destiny of Somalia breaking apart or Ethiopia? Uh, everywhere we have this kind of type of diversity. We have these problems, but there obviously there are other places in the world where federal models are, are really working well. So it it points us all or them. Uh, to reflect on this and, and to look out uh, if you want to invest into federal models, you, you're still not done by simply proclaiming we need to have federalism. Uh, but it's a very subtle, uh, subtle issue. Uh, but it's still always uh, getting back to this respect uh, for diversity, respect for, for the other one. Okay, uh, so thank you very much for shouldering the burden I put on you with my last question. 
Um, and thank you very much for sharing your insights and, and your knowledge. And I think like um, something is like, or a core point is like that, that um, history and uh, the reflection about history can help to be more objective or impartial and, and to be yeah, like, like some kind of modesty and humility uh, and to not um, like, like uh, take the present and, and uh, take it as it would be the whole story. There's always more to what's going on in the present and that it depends on history. So thank you very much um, for being uh, at Myanmar in a podcast and thank you very much for listening. Um, please tune in again next time. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.